It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's you, Jamie. Don't be alarmed, but I think there's a guy following you. Maybe we should get that guard dog we talked about? Nothing too scary. Maybe like a Bichon with an attitude? You know, Progressive's collision insurance covers injured dogs and cats at no extra cost, so... Wait, the guy stood up when I stood up. He's on the phone. He's looking right at me. Oh, wait, it's just my reflection. Don't tell anyone about this. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Pet coverage not available in New Hampshire and North Carolina. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 10th of October. The Jazz blow out the Suns in preseason game number four. We'll talk about what was relevant on the floor. Quinn Snyder with some interesting comments before the game, and we'll touch on that. And finally... We'll elaborate a little bit more on why Houston looks so good and Oklahoma City looks so bad in the pack offensive ratings. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's edition of Locked on Jazz, your daily Utah Jazz podcast, taking you in, giving insight that you can't get anywhere else. It's available to you on your iTunes, Android. Alexa or your Google Home, uh, whatever it is that you want to listen to. We try to be there for you as well as Spotify. So I hope that's give you all the options that you need. Uh, Today's show is brought to you by Grip 6 Belts. It's my friends at Grip 6. They have done a wonderful job creating a unique belt, Utah company, and uh, I'm fully on board with my Grip 6 Belts. All right, let's dig into, go to Grip6.com, by the way, use the code LOCK20, and you get 20% off. I'll tell you a little bit more about them coming up. Uh, so let's dig into last night. The Jazz forced 31 turnovers. They blow out the Phoenix Suns. Uh, the Suns looked awful. They didn't seem to have much structure of what they were doing. Uh, they're not a good passing team. Uh, they have interesting players. Devin Booker can really shoot it. Eric Bledsoe should be all right, but they... Josh Jackson is going to be nice, but they almost look as though they have no cohesiveness, so there's no, it's almost my turn, and then it runs out, and they throw a pass, and, and in turn, they, they, they look terrible. Uh, and the Jazz made them look terrible. There were some interesting things to the game, though. Uh, the Jazz played without Rudy Gobert and were very, very good defensively, and this is vital for the Jazz' success. So last year... When Rudy was on the floor, the defensive rating was a 100.6, and when he was off the floor, it was a 107.5. Okay, so huge discrepancy. Uh, specifically, when Favors and Gobert were on the floor together, the Jazz big lineup, they had a defensive rating around 97. League average is about 106. I mean, they, they were incredible. When Joe Johnson and Rudy were together, the defensive rating was about 103. So they were still really, really good. When Joe Johnson and Derek Favors were together, the defensive rating was 124. So that was an unmitigated disaster. Last night, the Jazz started with Epe Udo and Derek Favors. And then as the night went on, they went to Favors and Johnson, Udo and Johnson, Favors and Jarebko, Udo and Jarebko. And 
they had a good defensive night. There are some things the Jazz can do defensively with Favors and Udo that they can't do with Gobert. With Gobert, he's so big and he's so such a great rim protector that how you guard the pick and roll, th- there's not a lot of options. I mean, you're going to dr- basically drop Rudy Gobert equal to the roller, protect the rim, force him into a mid-range jumper, and, and seal the, the paint. With Favors and Udo, the Jazz are able to go out on the floor, and the big can come equal to the pick, or even at times last night, Favors came beyond equal to the pick. Now, he was big enough and tall enough that certainly Tyler Eulis couldn't, but Eric Bledsoe really couldn't get the passes over, or the passes had so much airtime on them that the Jazz had rotated well defensively and then just jumped into the passing lane and took the pass. The, it's a different approach. It makes the ball handle a little more uncomfortable. It takes the ball out of the hands of the primary ball handler most of the time. There's some value to be able to have bigs that can do that as well. Udo and Favors both seem to do it well. Udo really had another. Derek did too. Derek, they both had great defensive games. And Udo is a little more stunning just because we haven't seen it before and we weren't. Uh, I wasn't aware of it. I mean, I knew when he was drafted by the Warriors that defense was his calling card, but he's only 6'9". I just didn't realize how long he is and how long he plays. There there were plays last night where he, one where he reached in and was able to knock it away from Bledsoe on a steal, uh, where he's out on the floor playing at 25 feet and has enough uh, agility to reach in and knock it away. There were others where he blocked the ball at the rim where guys just didn't think he could get to it. It's as though they see his stature at 6'9 and just assume that there's that he doesn't have the ability to go the next step, which is to then have these long arms and, and reach. Derek was just active and moving and around and impacting the ball and setting walls. And There were times where he would drop the pick and then Bledsoe couldn't penetrate because they ran the big... He'd see the big body and then there were times when... He came up aggressively, uh, and it just showed the Jazz had some different defensive things to do. Now, Joe Johnson is is not a great defensive player at this stage in his career, and and teams are going at him a little bit, and they're going to have the Jazz are going to have to figure that out. Uh, and Jarebko has not played very well yet in this preseason, despite what he's capable of. So that that's going to be an ongoing issue: is how the Jazz, and we'll monitor on this show endlessly is what the Jazz defensive ratings are based on their big combinations. And we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. But it's a huge storyline to the season. If the Jazz are going to be as good as we'd like them to be this year, and to me that's you know between probably lower number than what you're envisioning, um, you know, I, I think anything between 40 and 45 is a great success. And then we're going to get into this funny thing at the end where if we win one extra game, we make the playoffs and deem it a success, and if they don't make the playoffs, we're going to deem it a failure, and it's probably going to be dictated as much by the fact that the Jazz got screwed on the schedule for a few games and don't get to play some of the bad teams as many times as other teams do. Um, so that's you know that that's probably where we're heading. There, there's your foreshadowing of the season. But if they can be 42, 43, 44, 45 wins, to me that's really impressive. Uh, and to do that, or even be a little above that, it's going to be, the key is going to be playing good defense when Gobert's off the floor. Being 48 minutes of defense, and then that's related to whether Favors is able to maintain health and body movement, and whether what Udo, Udo's able to do. Udo's good. 
Uh, and he's also crafty around the rim. But then again, this was against Phoenix and Alex Len, and Phoenix looks Phoenix really looks terrible. And the Jazz are going to play another very poor team tonight in the Lakers. So not until the Jazz go and play the you know opening stretch of the season, Denver, Minnesota, Oklahoma City, are we really going to have an idea uh, of what the Jazz are capable of doing to you know on any level? Uh, the other one last night that was interesting was pregame uh, with Quinn Snyder, and that is available to you. If I had taken an extra step this morning, I should have pulled this cut for you. Um, but I, um, I don't have time to do it, so I was pausing trying to figure it out. I actually, I'm actually going to the dentist this morning in Los Angeles. So if my play-by-play call sounds a little funky, that's why. Um, the... Uh, Sorry, I was just cringing the idea of going to the dentist. So, Quinn, I asked him about Donovan Mitchell and how you what you do now that Exum is out. And it was interesting that Quinn was really pretty clear that they believe Donovan Mitchell could be a point guard at some point in time or could be, you know, as he said, there's Russell Westbrook and there's Chris Paul. And they're both point guards and they play it very differently. Uh, but now's not the time. Uh, or at least not a heavy dosage of it. And then, moreover, talking to the uh, Donovan after the game last night, Donovan said, hey, yeah, I, I th- my, I'm thinking completely differently if I'm at the point guard position than if I'm playing off the ball. I'm trying to get 25 assists and trying to make sure everybody else is involved. And, and that's exactly what Quinn said, is that we, we don't need him thinking about every other player that's out there. Let him just be him. And he was a totally different player last night than he was when he took those minutes from Dante in the previous preseason game. So I think for the time being, you're going to see Neto play the backup point guard. Donovan's going to play the backup too. And then this is where it gets interesting. Last night, Alec Burks and Tabo Cephalosha slid over and shared the backup three minutes behind Joe Ingles. Joe's not had a great camp yet. He's not shooting the ball as well as he usually does. I'm not too worried about it, but he did. He was dealing with some leg tightness issues and things like that, and maybe he's just not quite on. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I don't, uh, that just that was an aside. He, his you know his shot just doesn't. It's not as money as it was last year at 44. percent That's for certain. And he's. I think this is gonna be a really hard year for Joe. I mean, there. He started 22 games last year. That means he didn't play a lot of games as starting against the the one or the you know the primary scorer. Um, and a lot of times his best defensive moments are when he's able to use his size and length against uh, point guards or shooting guards. And that was with Gordon on the floor, Rodney Hurt. And now he's end up playing bigger guys, small forwards. And I'm not sure some of his defensive prowess is as uh, applicable in those circumstances as it is when he plays a one or a two. Just a side note on that. It's interesting to watch uh, Joe this season. I think there's some things that are going to that are ha- much harder for him than we've we've discussed. We've talked about the role on Rodney and things like that, but um, there's much more to it. So anyway, last night with Donovan playing the two, Neto playing the one, then Alec Burks and Cephalosha slid over and played those backup minutes. 
AB's doing a nice job trying to earn playing time. He's really been fabulous in the preseason, and we'll see when the game speeds up against better opponents whether or not this holds, but he's earning some time there. So it's it's going to be very interesting to see uh, how they play. And then Royce O'Neal's good. Royce O'Neal's flat-out good. So you've got another wing player there uh, that can get some time in some positioning uh, as the season goes on. There's, there's very, very good depth there. It means Johnson and Drebko really are just fours. You don't have to worry about sliding them down to threes. And everything's kind of coming together. Udo and Gobert, your backup centers with favors, and, and now it all seems to be coming to fruition a little bit uh, or at least coming into a clearer picture in regards to rotation. But we'll see some moments, I think, when due to necessity, Donovan Mitchell plays with out Neto or Rubio, but I think those will be rare, and I think Rubio is going to play 35 minutes a night. I mean, I, I think Rubio's you know, that's the other thing that right now everyone's doing this with 20 minutes a night. Rubio, I think, is going to play 35 minutes a night. I think we're talking 13 minutes a night of backup point guard minutes, and those are going to be Neto's. And then Hood and Mitchell are splitting the 48, depending on who's going on that night. Ingles, Burks, and Cephalosha are splitting the three. Favors, Johnson, Jarebko are splitting the four minutes. Gobert, Favors, Udo are splitting the five minutes. Uh, that's, that's where I think we're heading. Uh, with this roster and the, and the way it sits. Today's show is brought to you by Grip Six Belts. This is a local Utah company. They reached out to me. Uh, I, and I always get nervous when I do this read because when they first explained to me what the belt, I didn't get it. Like, I was like, yeah, okay. And I was trying to ask questions and, you know, do I wear it in a formal circumstance? Is it a casual? And they're like, well, it kind of can do both. And, and that's actually really true. I've worn it both with my suit to games and as well as just out comfortably so here's the the cool thing about grip six it has no holes and no belt flap hanging out they've created a belt where you bring in the 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 long part of the belt through the buckle and in and underneath and the buckles and straps and and it clicks then the other thing that's really cool about them because they've created this mechanism is that the buckles and the straps are interchangeable so you can buy a buckle you can buy the belt and then you can switch them out and move them and have different ones. So, like, if you're into the conservation series, which is cool because they donate a bunch of money back to environmental issues, you can get the one with the buffalo or the salmon, or you can get the honeycomb one. The honeycomb one's really cool. Or if you just, like, if you're a golfer and you want to have fun little, you know, things with your belt and have a white belt with a red buckle or a white belt with a green buckle or a blue buckle, you can do that because you can trade out the buckles and the belts. The, the bigger thing is how comfortable they are. Uh, and they're great, particularly for me. I'm excited because I change. My body goes up about 15 pounds during the season, and so it's always that awful moment we have to slide to the next belt buckle. Uh, one of our listeners emailed in and said he was a big dude, and um, as a big – well, he called himself fat, but he did. He just said, I'm a fat guy. He said that these are great because they don't cut at you, and they, they're adjustable, and uh, and their Google reviews are all very good. I uh, am a fan of – the stickly wood one, and also the carbon fiber, which are a little bit more expensive uh, buckles. But the main buckles at Grip 6 are 20 bucks, and the straps are 15 And again, they're all interchangeable, so it's really kind of a cool thing to do to play around with uh, and make an order. They also have the new business pack where you can get it along with the new Grip 6 belt hanger. Uh, that's available for you. They have the buffet pack, which is a bunch of them, and then it's uh, all discounted kind of nicely. So uh, check it out. Belt, uh, Grip... The, Belts are at grip6.com. That's grip6.com. And the promo code LOCK20 
will get you 20% off the order. So now they now it's even better, right? So, you know, your first try, you can go with a $20 buckle and a $15 strap, and then you get 20% off that. We're, ta- we're under 30 bucks for really something you're going to like. Uh, I might suggest that you take advantage of the free shipping over $50 and order a few more and then take your 20%. Uh, you're you're going to be really pleased. It's Grip6.com. Lock 20 gets you 20% off. And uh, let me know. Let me know how you like them. Um, so yesterday we kind of flew through some of the pack ratings. I want to go back to them um, because I think there was some interesting kind of things that um, showed up. So the biggest storylines to me on the pack ratings were four, four maybe five storylines. One is how close the Rockets are to the Warriors offensively. Uh, and you kind of run through it. P.J. Tucker is their only negative pack player. So what is that? That's what, to me, constructs a championship caliber team, is that every single one of your guys who's using possessions is using them above average. And what it means is that when you force the ball out of the hands of James Harden or Clint Capella or Chris Paul, which is their primary offense, and then it goes to Ryan Anderson or Eric Gordon or Trevor Reza or Emba Mute, you're still getting an above-average possession usage. And that means that when they have their great guys, Harden, Chris Paul, and Capello, who are all top 30-pack players in the league, points above average created, it's almost impossible to catch those guys unless you're the Warriors, because none of their other guys are using possessions badly. And that's really, truly the makeup of a championship team. The Warriors and the Rockets are the two teams that have offenses that are made up of championship teams. The Warriors, Draymond Green was negative last year. That's their negative last year was Draymond Green. Otherwise, they're positive across the board too. But when you total it out, the Warriors come to 10.5 and the Rockets come to 9.3. So the Rockets are right on the Warriors. The second, well, the first most surprising, if I was doing it in order, is how bad the Thunder came out. And the reason is they have a ton of negative players, including Carmelo Anthony. So you have Carmelo Anthony using, I have him down to 17 scoring opportunities a night, which is much lower than he was a year ago. But he's he's a minus .7 pack player. He's an inefficient. Everybody can tell me that you're going to get Olympic Carmelo, but I... Okay, but I still need to see the fact that, you know, this guy was an ISO player who still will be an ISO player who's below league average efficiency. So is Raymond Felton. So is Kyle Singler. Patrick Patterson is slightly below average, and so is Andre Robertson. So suddenly with these guys, and Jeremy Grant's even, and Alex Abrinas is even, so your only above-average pack players are Paul George, who's terrific, and everyone's talking about how he's going to be the one who has to change his game. That's the worst thing that could happen. Paul George is the last one you want to have changed. Steven Adams, Russell Westbrook uses a million possessions, but right on the league average. And so when the ball's going out of the hands of, of Paul George, everybody else other than Steven Adams is an average or below-average possession usage player. Then... When you start using Carmelo for 17 possessions a night, he's actually just flat below average. Raymond Felton uses three or four below average. Kyle Singler uses three or four below average. Andre Robertson uses five or six below average. That's that's suddenly 15, 16 below average 
possessions before you even count Carmelo, which is another 17, you're now at 35% of your scoring opportunities are coming from guys that are below average offensively. And so the Thunder come out as the ninth-ranked offensive team. The Utah Jazz actually come out ahead of the Thunder because Gobert's so good. The Jazz... Though this is the Jazz, I think are going to have a tough time because uh, every Jazz player is negative. No, Neto, Johnson, Burks, Hood, Favors, Jarebko, Cephalosha, Rubio, and Donovan Mitchell will be negative in his first year. Every rookie is. Rudy is so valuable, and Joe Ingles is valuable that those two guys are able to outweigh all the other negative players there. And so, to, to some extent, and, and so the Jazz come out. Actually, I, I, I'm going to correct that. I had not added Donovan Mitchell's negative. So the Jazz come out uh, below the Thunder at actually negative .4. So there was a slight error there. My apologies. Um, good, good that I checked that one last time here before. Uh, and the Thunder actually now come out 8th because the Jazz go to 11th uh, behind uh, offensively. So da- about the same as Dallas, Phoenix, Memphis, and the Lakers are all behind them. Uh, the other one that I think is worth noting is the Clippers come out really, really well. The Clippers come out really, really well. Uh, DeAndre Jordan, positive. Blake Griffin, positive. Danilo Gallinari is very positive. And they're the guys that are negative, Montrell's Harrell's very positive. Lou Williams is positive. Sam Decker's even. Patrick Beverly's even. So then their negative guys are Austin Rivers, who uses a lot of possessions, but Wesley Johnson, who might use one a night, maybe three. Diamond Stone and Bryce Johnson, who don't play. And and that's it. So suddenly, and then to- Tessa Dosich, whatever you're projecting with Tessa Dosich, which it would, will be negative. Rookies always are. Uh, th- those guys um, come out, so they actually look pretty good. So that it's an interesting, interesting little look at things. Um, to review again, and particularly with that last change I just made, I probably should check and make sure I don't have any other subtle mistakes um, there on anyone. But I don't think I do. Um, I made a change on the Jazz, and it didn't it didn't include the uh, final step of where. We had uh, added Donovan Mitchell and made the post-Dante injury changes. Dante doesn't – Dante getting hurt. And that's interesting. Zach Lowe said this last night or yesterday on the jump. Zach, Dante getting hurt, at least analytically, does not make the Jazz a less good team. Just because Dante has not had any analytical success to make you uh, – that you're building off of when you when you suddenly put him into any projection systems. There's there's nothing that he um, in his you know young career where he's been efficient or done anything of that nature. Um, the Kings, by the way, came out relatively better than I, I think some people would have thought. Um, also, not not dramatically, but just a little bit better. So the final way that the Western Conference looks, and I did this yesterday, but let's make sure it's now been corrected. Uh, and I th- I don't think it's had a big change, but number one is the Warriors, two the Rockets, Clippers three, Minnesota four, San Antonio fifth offensively, Denver six, the Pelicans seven, Thunder eight, Blazers nine, Jazz and Dallas t- ten, eleven, 
Sacramento 12, Phoenix 13, Memphis 14, and the Lakers is the worst offensive team that there is in the um, in the makeup there. That is today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Thank you very much for tuning in. Have a great day, and come back and talk to me tomorrow. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter, so it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.